But this week we are continuing our conversation that we've been having surrounding this idea of growth. The past several weeks, if you've been with us, we've been in this series, Summer of Growth, really evaluating what does growth look like on a spiritual level in our life. We started out talking about how growth is a process, right? That growth is not this all at once occurrence or event to arrive to, but it really is this day by day, little by little process. We then talked about how growth was never intended to be personal just to our own life, but that growth was actually intended to be missional, that the growth that stems from our life is actually intended to go beyond ourselves. And then a few weeks ago, I got to share on how growth does naturally happen in our life because we all face these things that force us to grow, right? We all face pain. We all face change. We all face transition, but the right kind of growth doesn't just happen, that there is often a process of refining that we walk through. And this week, I want to continue the conversation and the reality that for anything to grow, in the direction that we desire, it has to be managed. That for anything to grow, it has to be managed. That if we are not stewarding well what is in our hands, then we cannot expect to see the outcome of growth that we desire in our life. And that growth is actually something that has been entrusted to you and I to walk out. And when I was thinking this week about what stewarding well really looks like, I was reminded of a story in Matthew 25. And just to set the scene here, Jesus is is talking with his disciples about what it looks like to be spiritually ready, what our, our spiritual activity should actually look like in our life. In response to the reality that, yes, Jesus would be leaving them, but he would be coming back again. And you and I are still living in that present reality. He tells them a few stories to really demonstrate the separation of those who will be living with expectation of Jesus' return and those who will be living without that expectation. And in fact, we see Jesus is communicating with a certain level of urgency to stress the value of stewarding our life well. And you and I, we're still living in this present reality of Jesus returning, of Jesus coming back, and our readiness goes hand in hand with a decision to steward our life well. Jesus tells this story. You can follow along with me. It should be on the screen in Matthew 25, starting in 14. um, He says this to describe what spiritual readiness looks like. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle his accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came saying, master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, right? He's a powerful man. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed, Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And here, Jesus, he's described a master who's going on a journey, and he's given instructions to his servants about how to handle his wealth. He said he entrusted his wealth to them. And this was not strange in ancient times that a master would often um, entrust his, his wealth to his servants, that often they were given great responsibility. And this was often the smartest thing that a master could do was to actually entrust his wealth to his servants, that he would divide it carefully among selected servants and leave them to do their best with it. Leave them to do their best. And this parable, often we know it as parable of the talents, but a lot of translations now refer to it as um, the bags of gold to really drive this point home that in that time, the talent was not about natural talent or ability, but it was a sum of money. And it was a lot of money. And even though the parable uses bags of gold to demonstrate the idea, it's not really even about money. It's more about what we do with what we've been given. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like what to do with the one and only life that God has entrusted to you. What do you do with what you've been given? It's a picture for our life of anything that we've been entrusted with, anything that we've been given to steward, that each servant had a decision to make of what their response would be to what they had been given. And if you and I are to be like those who are called good and faithful, then there is actually something that's required of us in stewarding well. There's something that is required of us. And first, the thing is that stewarding well will require that we recognize. It begins with recognizing in humility that you and I, our life is not our own but that we were created, we were designed, we were formed to honor the one that we reflect, to honor the one whose image we were made and to be like humble servants um, to the one who's entrusted us. And I was just thinking during worship, like Jesus modeled this for us. 
He's not putting demands on our life that he first didn't model that Jesus being God and man came in the form of human flesh and said, I will be like a servant. That if Jesus modeled this for us, then you and I, we too have been entrusted with the treasure of knowing him and being like these humble servants. Being like these humble servants. And the reality that we have to come to is that only I can steward what's been put in my hands. That, that no one but you can steward what you've been given. That no one but you can protect what's been given to you to protect. That no one but you and I can choose to value what's been placed in our hands. And we have been given something, not just the joy of knowing the Father, not just the the privilege and the honor of knowing him, but we've been uniquely given things and entrusted things in our life. You've been entrusted your marriage. You've been entrusted your family. You've been entrusted that workplace to make it better. You've been entrusted that circle of people in life. You've been entrusted the faith that dwells on the inside of you. You've been entrusted with the obedience that you know God is stirring within you. You and I, we've been entrusted with something. We've all been entrusted with something that it's been placed in your hands. It's been placed in my hands. But where we often get it wrong, and I can sort of imagine in this story, our guy, one bag, let's say Billy, he's feeling really good about himself. He's feeling good about his one bag. He's like, the master chose me. The, The master chose me. He's feeling good about his bag, but then, um, he meets two bag Tommy. And then he goes on social media and he sees this five bag Fred and he's like, well, I don't really understand why I wasn't entrusted with what they were given. I, I was only given one bag, but here, Tommy, he's been given two and Freddie, he's been given five, but here I am with my one measly bag. Why? Why? And we kind of laugh at it, but we can go on social media and you're feeling pretty proud of your marriage, but then you see what vacation these two are on and you're feeling proud of your kids but then you see what so-and-so's kids have achieved and you're feeling proud of your job but then look at this person and it's comparing it's comparing it's comparing and we're no longer satisfied with what we've been entrusted with we're no longer content with what's been placed in our hands what what we've been given what we presently have and so now our, our one bad guy, he's, he's doubting if it even matters that the master gave him anything. He, he's doubting, does it even matter? Why wasn't I given what the others were given? And now he's gotten himself in this mindset, oh, it's just a little. It's just a little. It doesn't really matter what I do with what I've been given because it's just a little. It, it's too little to matter. And when you break down this talent, like I said, other translations refer to it as the talent. It, if you break it down, it's about uh, worth about 6,000 days of daily wages. It's kind of hard to convert into today's currency, but it's a large amount. It would have taken a day laborer about 20 years to earn as much. It, it's a lot. And yes, the servants were given different amounts according to their ability. You ever read that part and you're like, according to their ability. What's that about? Right? 
God, I thought there was no favoritism. But it's like they were entrusted according to their ability, maybe five-bag Fred. He had been faithful before, so here his master entrusts him again, right? So the servants, they were given different amounts of money according to their ability, according to maybe their past faithfulness, according to their record. The one servant only received one talent, yet we should see that it was not an insignificant amount that it was still a lot. Yes, some did receive more, but everyone received something. And the something that they received was a lot. It was a lot to be trusted with. It wasn't a little. And the thing is that the enemy makes us see a little where there's a lot. That other voices make us see a little when there's a lot. That this voice can make us see a little when there's a lot. When there's a lot to be trusted with, when there's a lot to presently be grateful for, where there's a lot to steward, no, I may not have X, Y, and Z, but what I have now is enough. And what I have now is a lot. What I have now is a lot to steward. The enemy will cause us to see a little when there is a lot. Oh, I only have a little bit to be grateful for. I've only been trusted with this little thing when the reality is that it's still a lot. That we don't have to feel bad for our one bad guy or maybe you think, oh, I'm only a one talent person. It's still a lot. It's still a lot to be trusted with. And we too can just so easily find ourselves in this position comparing what we've been given, comparing what's ours to steward, stuck in this. It's just a little mentality when really it is a lot. And the truth is, if we, always what we, if we always see is what, what we have as nothing, then we will miss the value of what we've been given. If you always see what you have as nothing, you will miss the value of what you have been entrusted with. And I just think what a great tragedy to see what we have as insignificant, to say that my obedience to steward doesn't really make any difference. My obedience, it it doesn't really make a difference. And I can imagine the master's disappointment when the servant that he chose, that he entrusted, that he believed in, when he failed to recognize the value of what had been placed in his hands, that it may have been smaller than X, Y, and Z, but it was still a lot. And sometimes if we're honest, we can get caught in this belief of it's just a little and I deserve more. We're not just looking at what we have is insignificant, but we're looking at what others have and we're saying, I deserve more. We look around and we say, oh, I deserve to be where they are. I deserve to be entrusted with what they've been entrusted with. God, the things that I've been praying for, the the husband I've been praying for, the job I've been praying for, why have you answered their prayer but not mine? And we start believing, oh, I could do just as good with that. God, why do I have a little? And it is our pride and our envy to say, I deserve more. To say, I deserve more rather than having this posture of gratitude that this is what I have to manage. This is what I have been given to steward. This is the grace that's on my life. The story tells us that the talent was given according to their ability. 
according to their present readiness, according to their present ability. It was given, and it is our pride that leads us to desire and envy the graces of another. It's our pride to say, oh, I deserve to be given that. I deserve to be entrusted to that. Ephesians 4 says, but to each one of us, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace has been given as he decides, as he chooses, as he sees fit for where we are in this moment. And there's actually this joy that's found when we begin to walk in the grace that we've been given. And just asking God, would you help me to see the value of what's in my hands, of what I don't even deserve, but that you've entrusted me with. And what a relief that it's God's to give because he actually knows what we can handle. He actually knows what we're presently ready for. He actually knows what we can steward. He actually sees the posture of our heart. He actually knows the state of our minds. He actually knows what we can handle. Five talents would have been too much for some, and one would have been too little. He knows what we can handle. And I think it's coming to this place of stopping comparing and having this radical joy. God, would you give me a radical joy that the master still trusted me? That God, you would still trust me. No, I can look around and see others, God, but you still entrusted me. And just to rest in the kindness of God, the kindness of God to trust us at all, to to give anything at all for us to handle, to learn to step out of this entitlement and rest in the knowing that you and I have been entrusted, that we don't deserve anything. And I know it may feel heavy this morning, but God was just putting this reality in my heart, like, let this truth bring you joy that you do not deserve anything, and yet I've entrusted you. Yet I see more in you than you actually see in yourself. It may seem like a little, but it's still a lot. It's still a lot. I still entrusted you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to look at anything that God has entrusted me and think it's just a little. It's just a little. It's not what I desire right now. It's just a little as if it didn't come from the hands of a holy God to imperfect people like you and I. To imperfect people like you and I, that God, a holy God, would trust you and I. We want to be people that whatever we're given, we steward with diligence. We hold with faithfulness and this belief that what we've been given matters that the faith, the little faith right now, the small faith in your heart, that it matters, that you don't have to look around. Maybe you're in this room and you're really new to this church thing and you're like, I look around and I don't really have that kind of faith yet. Would you just be like this radical joy to come on you of like, but look at this faith that he's grown in me. Look at this faith that he's deposited into my heart that he didn't have to see me at all, but he said, this one I want to put faith in. This one I'm going to stir something inside. This one I'm moving things in their heart. It may look like a little now, but it's still a lot. And the most faithful people I know truly believe that whatever they've been given is from God. 
I can think of different people I know in my life, and they have this beautiful faith that they actually believe that everything they have is from God. The faithful servants knew that what they had wasn't theirs, that it belonged to the master. Secondly, to steward well, we must not only recognize, but we must also respond. That we don't just stop at recognizing that I have the ability to steward what God's put in my hands, but we have a decision to respond. Verse 16 says, the man with five bags went at once and put the money to work and gained five bags more. He went at once. This implies direct action that he felt the responsibility of his assignment and went to work without delay. And the truth is that we have to be quick about the things that God has asked of us. We have to be quick about the things we need to do because when God tells us to do something, we have to do it quickly before we have the chance to talk ourselves out of it, before others have the chance to talk us out of it, before this voice has the chance to talk us out of it. Being faithful means that we understand that it was God's to give, but it's mine to manage. That it was God's to give, but it's actually mine to manage and to manage with quick obedience, with sure obedience, with a humil- uh, hum- humble obedience. And when it came time to respond to what the one bag servant was given, our one bag guy, he went and hid what he was given. And not only did he merely bury his talent, but he tried to excuse himself because of the master's great power. He didn't just go and hide it, but he tried to blame the master. He says in verse 24, Master, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He is accusing his master. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Here is what belongs to you. I knew that you were a harsh man. Here is what belongs to you. And it is the wickedness of our hearts to lay blame of our failure to be obedient upon others and often upon God himself. Often upon God himself. Well, I wasn't obedient because. I wasn't obedient because I was afraid. And we can start thinking that it's impossible to please God and therefore do nothing. It's impossible to please the harsh master. And at times we start complaining that he requires more of us than we are capable of. That he requires more and he punishes us for what we cannot help. The sense is obvious here that this servant is claiming, I knew you were one who it was impossible to serve. One whom knew none, nothing would please. Asking of me what was impossible and dissatisfied with what I could do. This is the posture of this man's heart that even what I could do wouldn't matter. That even the little that I could bring wouldn't matter. I can't please you. And we can find ourselves in this same position thinking of God as this harsh master throwing on him the blame of our fruitlessness. Throwing on God the blame of our fruitlessness. And I think the reality is that God often entrusts us more than we trust him. He often entrusts us more than we trust God, more than we trust the faithfulness of God, more than we trust the character of God. He trusts us more than we trust him. 
That's crazy, but it's true that we can begin to trust ourselves more than we trust God, that God begins to trust us more than we trust him, that we start accusing his character and his faithfulness and what he hasn't given. But he entrusts us to be faithful, but if we don't trust him enough, then we won't be faithful. And we can stay stuck in this mindset of, I can't please you anyway. God, what I have to bring, it, it isn't enough. I'm afraid of displeasing you. Therefore, my obedience doesn't matter. My obedience is insignificant. And I remember this time where, to be honest, I was very much doubting whether or not my obedience even mattered. Whether or not my obedience was reason enough to say yes to what God was asking of me. It wasn't that long ago. I was sitting on the couch at Pastor Jordan and Kristen's house, and Jordan had asked me to do what I'm doing today. And I just was in this place of feeling like, God, my obedience doesn't matter. If it's just me and you, if it's just about my obedience, then why do I have to do this? My obedience, it doesn't matter. And I just remember Jordan saying to me, if your obedience doesn't matter, then nothing else does. If your obedience isn't your reason, isn't your why, then nothing else mattered. Just in this raw place of unbelief, of unwillingness, of fear, of fear. And I just remember the Lord speaking to my heart and just echoing over and over, if obedience to me isn't enough, then nothing beyond that matters. That no result of your obedience will be fruitful If it doesn't start with the simple fact that your obedience to me is your reason for why, then your reason, your reason for being the simple obedience to use what's in your hands to please me and not anyone else, then nothing you do will matter. If it doesn't start with the fact that your obedience to me is your reason why, your obedience to me. Your, your trust in me, your faithfulness to me, your love for me, your understanding that without me you would be nothing. Your obedience to me has to matter. And this servant is thinking, I can do very little. It will not make much difference if I do nothing. I can do very little, so it will not make much difference if I do nothing. And we too can have this same idea We too can actually have something like the master with one, like the servant with one talent, but hold it in a way as though we have nothing. Hold it in a way as though we have nothing when we do have something in our hands. Not only do we see mistrust in the servant's response to steward, but we also see misunderstanding. He says, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. He hid the master's money. And his response is all wrong here because the truth is for this servant and the truth is for you and I that it wasn't his to hide. It wasn't his to hide. Remember, it says that the master entrusted his wealth. The master entrusted his wealth. Whatever we think we have is not our own. It's not yours to hide. It's not mine to hide. Everything that we have been given is borrowed. Everything that we have been given is borrowed. It's not ours to hide. The things that we've been debating, letting God use, it's not yours to hide. The the things that you've been saying, oh, maybe I'll go to God, it's not yours to hide. Your obedience, it's not yours to hide. Your faithfulness, it's not yours to hide. Your talent or your gifting, it's not yours to hide. It's his and it's borrowed. 
but he hid it in the ground. And the turn in our response comes when we realize that what we have isn't ours to begin with, that it isn't ours to hide. It isn't ours to hide, that our response is solely to just sow it, to steward whatever the Lord has given us. And how often are we looking for a harvest of things in our life that we have yet to sow? We're looking for a, multiple, a multitude, we're looking for a harvest of things that we haven't even put the seed in the ground yet. We haven't even sown it yet. And just saying, God, I really desire this in my life. And I just feel like he's saying, yeah, hold well what you have now. Hold well what you have now so that your capacity can grow to glorify me. Hold well what I've given you now. And some of us need to get gritty about our growth, that we get like a consistency in our growth. We, we get gritty about our growth because the reality is that consistent growth requires endurance. Consistent growth to see the fruit of what you're stewarding actually requires endurance. But instead we say, I, I don't see it soon enough. I, I don't see it quick enough. Instead of saying, I'm just going to keep on being faithful with what's been put in my hands. I'm just going to keep on stewarding what I've been given now. And when we actually see the value of what's in our hands, there comes this expectation and this excitement for what we've been given to grow. And lastly, after recognizing and responding to steward well, we have to return. We have to return. Verse 19 says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants returned. The long delay may have tempted the servants to believe that he would never come, but he would come and he is coming. He, he certainly would come. They may have thought they would never have to give an account for what they were given, but they would. They would. And you and I too, we will give an account for the way in which we have stewarded all that God has entrusted to us. All that God has entrusted to us. And we see in this beautiful moment, the master responds to the two servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And while the proportion of what they were entrusted with was different, the same obedience was required of both. And they were equally rewarded, each doubling what they received and therefore equally faithful. The master rewards them in the same way, saying to both, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over the few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The reward was the same for both servants. That even though one was given five and the other was given two, each performed the same according to what they were given, to what he trusted them with, to what was placed in their hands, and both are commended in the same terms. The reward, precisely the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. This shows that the master looked for goodness and faithfulness above all else. He looked for good and faithfulness above all else. Whatever financial success they may have gained, what mattered is that they were good and faithful. The master looked first for this quality of their character, not what they produced, but the quality of their character. And it is their faithfulness that was rewarded. It was the quality of their character that they were good 
and faithful. Not that one gained five more and, the on, and one only two. No, they were both good and faithful. And that's what mattered most. And lastly, when it comes to the reward of our faithfulness, I just believe that we have to acknowledge that in our own heart, the goal of growth or of obedience, of, of stewarding what we've been given, it changes over time. What we wanted in one season, we may not want now, right? The goal, what we desire changes. What, what we want in this moment changes. It, it changes over time. But there's this rest that comes when we understand that the only consistent reward is Jesus. The only consistent reward is Jesus. Of looking like Jesus, of, of sounding like Jesus, of, of knowing Jesus, of friendship with Jesus. If the reward of our heart is anything but Jesus, it doesn't last. It, it doesn't satisfy. It only satisfies for so long if the reward of our heart is not truly knowing Jesus, of knowing him. And I can look back on times of my life where the goal of my growth was for a, a reward that I would not desire now, <laughs> that I would not want now, that, that I would not choose now. And when the reward is anything but Jesus, it fails us. When the reward is anything but Jesus, it disappoints us. When the reward is anything but Jesus, it's never enough. <laughs> But when the reward is Jesus, it always satisfies. When the reward is just knowing him, it always sustains. It always is, an, is enough. When the reward is Jesus, it's a lasting reward. And God has just so kindly taught me. And what I want to share with you today is that in every season, make him the reward. Make him the reward of your faithfulness. Make his friendship the reward. Make knowing him the reward, and we can trust him on everything else, but he is the reward of our faithfulness. He is the reward of, of our efforts. He is the reward of our heart, and we can look back and say, God, thank you for the things that you didn't do, for the prayers that you didn't answer when my heart wasn't set on you being the reward, when my heart wasn't set on the fact that Jesus is enough. When, when our heart was really doing what we were doing for anything else other than actually friendship with God and knowing him and being near him and knowing his voice and knowing Jesus, that when we make Jesus the reward of our heart, that it actually satisfies, that it actually is enough, that it actually does sustain us, that it actually has longevity, that Jesus is enough and he is the reward. I remember one night we were, um, we were celebrating Josh uh, for his birthday and someone asked him like uh, about, he had wanted to be in missions. Josh, hope you don't mind me sharing this. And uh, someone just asked him, um, someone asked him, you know, do you still wanna do that? And I just remember Josh said with his Joshness, he just said, um, nothing else really like matters. Like I wanna be like an incense that's burnt on the altar that what I desire like fades away and that pleasing Jesus is enough. And I was crying in Cheesecake Factory. I was like, wow, how beautiful is that? But that should be the posture of our heart that yes, we have desires. God knows them and he will give as he sees fit. But if the reward of our life is not just knowing Jesus, nothing will satisfy. 
Nothing will go long-term. Nothing will be enough. And I just thought how beautiful, what an incredible posture to admire that Jesus is my reason. Jesus is enough that every other desire can fade away as long as my life is like an incense that points people to Jesus. I just thought how incredible is that? The reward of our life would be Jesus. The reward of our life would be that he's enough and he's so good and he satisfies every desire and every longing and he answers all our questions that he is good and faithful that he is enough that all that we have we actually get to give back to Jesus even what may seem like a little right now that it's still a lot it's still a lot I just feel in my heart, I don't want anyone to leave this room today feeling like my life doesn't really matter. My life doesn't really matter. Maybe you've been dealing with suicidal thoughts. I don't know why I just feel that in this moment. Maybe you've been dealing with like, my life doesn't really matter. Can I remind you that we need what you have? We need what God's put in your hands. We need your faithfulness. We need your obedience. We need your light. We need who you are because Jesus lives inside of you. We need you. And what you've been given is a lot. What you've been given is a lot. That little faith inside of you, it's a lot. Because when you sow it, it grows. <laughs> when you sow it, you have the opportunity to see it actually grow. Would you just stand with me this morning?